0: Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Renewables. We are super excited about this week's episode, really excited and uh, grateful to have Andrew Barth on from CSD Energy. Andrew, thank you for being here today.
0: Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yes, really appreciate the time, and looking forward to the conversation today. Um, as you know, the podcast is focused on uh, sort of the energy landscape of the future, and you are obviously a really good person to weigh in on that. So I want to brag on on CSD just for a little bit and give our viewers some context. Uh, Andrew and I are. Acquainted through uh, a colleague that works here at Biostar Renewables, Peter Gohausen. And uh, Andrew has some roots to Kansas City, so I get to see him in Houston sometimes, more so pre-COVID, and and then we get to catch up kind of around the holidays in Kansas City, Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is great. But uh, started a business relationship together several years ago. Andrew sells power to customers all over the United States, um, and especially up in the Northeast, and some in California, and some in Texas, so we're gonna get into that. Um, but we've been very grateful to be partners with Andrew, and, and he's trusted us to go and, and develop projects with some of his customers, which have been successful in the past, so um, that's the context. I wanna give you a chance, Andrew, just to kinda of download everybody on your career and, and how you got to be a partner at CSD.
0: Sure, yeah, thanks. And uh, you know, I can give you some background on CSD first if you'd like. And yeah, that'd be great. Sure. So CSD Energy Advisors is one of a number of companies that my partners and I own, and we are in the day-to-day business of procuring uh electricity and natural gas across all deregulated markets. Um we are, are also involved in the consulting, of uh, power purchasing across uh, deregulated as well as regulated utilities Um, beyond CSD we also have a company called links energy partners which is our demand response and load curtailment platform it's also our energy analytics platform and then I would say our third sort of most substantial uh, organization that we have is a uh, a company called links asset management where we're currently working with distributed generation resources. And then finally, we have uh, Roots Clean Energy, which is a uh, actually brand new to us, and we advise retail suppliers on RPS purchasing and requirements, as well as the acquisition of RECs, and then advise our customers on procuring those RECs, or basically what's the sort of best plan for them to go about uh, um, increasing their their exposure to renewables within their portfolio.
1: Sure really cool so i am kind of visually adding to my notes up here links and roots because i want to get into that later in the conversation i know you're doing some super interesting stuff around uh demand response and um sort of distributed generation and batteries so i definitely want to come back to that i appreciate the background there um to kind of dive in here i want to just educate some of our viewers, some of our viewers watching, are, this is gonna feel pretty 101 probably. Some of our viewers though uh, may not be as familiar with the deregulated electricity and gas market. So I live in Kansas City, uh, Kansas and Missouri You know, do not have deregulated electricity markets. I think you'll have to, you're the expert, you'll have to confirm, I think all 50 states or 48 states have deregulated gas markets, which a lot of people don't know. Um, So if you don't mind, just kind of school us, break down the U.S. electricity market for us.
0: Sure. So I guess I'll start with deregulation and what that truly means. And deregulation is basically the opportunity to have competitive choice uh, behind the utility that serves your load. So uh, most people, when you think of deregulation, uh, the first initial thought is sort of, Texas in 2000, circa 2002, and then of course California during the Enron days. Um, there have been a lot of changes to deregulation, and as new markets have opened up across across the years, you know every iteration has sort of become a little bit different, a little bit better. Um, and there is you know a a separation of um, a little bit of separation of church and state between the power generators, the retail suppliers and then the utilities that are actually going to deliver that power. So currently in the U.S. we have 14 deregulated states uh, in Washington, D.C. as well. Um, California is still limited as far as deregulation goes. Uh, And then you have Michigan, which is also somewhat limited. You have some other states, Oregon, Virginia, that allow for certain customers of over a particular size or volume of consumption to go out and shop, you have some different requirements that you have to meet in order to be able to pursue those opportunities. But generally speaking, when you when you think of deregulated power, you think of the ability to go out and shop and, and select a competitive retail supplier, whether that be for your residents, small commercial, large commercial, and industrial, manufacturing, um, on and on. Uh, when you speak to natural gas, you're correct in that nearly every state does offer the ability to go out and shop your natural gas portfolio. Uh, many states do have size requirements when it comes to, you know, sort of what it would, the, the minimums that you need to be able to go into that marketplace and actually go and procure that natural gas. And, and
1: what's sort it. of typical there, just if I, you don't mind me butting in for a second, what's sort of typical, I'm sure every state's different, but how, how much gas are we talking?
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, you have the requirements as low as, Um, 5,000 decatherms per year and then you have other states that the requirement is 50,000 decatherms a year. Uh, It just depends on on the state, depends on the utility and quite frankly depends on the amount of gas flowing into that particular region and whether or not the infrastructure has been put in place to allow for that competitive supply to exist. So as you can imagine, the higher density areas are typically going to have uh, lower hurdles to cross due to the fact that there's multiple customers within a, within a territory, within a region, those that have sort of, um, larger users that are, are one offs or, you know, they're dispersed throughout a territory. You're less likely to see that. You're less likely to see, uh, the lower numbers on on the ability to get into that competitive supply market. I will say on the power side, generally speaking, There are, if if your area is deregulated, there are not size requirements uh, Uh, beyond that. There are, uh, you know, obviously rate classes and different, uh, well beyond rate classes, there's different classes of customer that you can fall into, whether it's general service, large service. And a lot of that also then gets into what sort of power are you taking? Are you taking it at a transmission level? Uh, Are you at a distribution level? So there's a number of factors that really determine what rate class or customer segment you fall into.
1: So I live in New Jersey or um, Pennsylvania and I have a business or a home and I want to get some low cost, cheap power. I want to sign a contract. I call somebody like you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's two ways to do it. You could do a direct source where you would go out and try to determine the best supplier, the best product for your home. And typically we see that in the residential market is that most people are going out and shopping on their own. When it comes to the commercial supply, you know, you often have nearly 150 retailers or more that are available to go out and actually get prices from. Mm -hmm. Um, They all have different contracts. They all offer different products some are better suited for your lower end customers. And when I say lower end, I I mean that purely on a consumption level. Sure. Um, Sure. So some sort of serve that 50 KW and below market, while some only serve five megawatts and above or 10 megawatts and above. So part of that is when, you know, and and I will say that the commercial market, um, the estimates are that about 70% of that load is served by the ABC market, which is aggregators, brokers, and consultants, which is what I fall into. Um, and what our organization is, is, is basically either on the brokering or consulting side, we're not currently in the aggregation side. Um, Got it. And so, you know, when you have sort of that sort of buying power with 70% of, um, of the load that's being, uh, and I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say controlled by brokers because that's not the right word. Uh, procured by brokers would be the right word. So managed is probably a better way of putting it, uh, you have significant buying power that is beyond what one, one single customer could go out and do on their own. Um, and so we also then are in the market every single day. We're seeing what other customers are doing. We're seeing what the retail suppliers are doing. We're constantly looking at forward power prices. We're looking at uh, load availability. We're looking at a number of different factors that will all go into that price at the end of the day. And you know, it's, it's funny, especially here in, in Texas, you know, we used to uh, it, we used to really follow natural gas, and uh, you know, natural gas was sort of the benchmark in which power prices would be uh, would be determined, and 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 really maybe the most liquid market you could watch to determine what power prices were going to do. Nowadays, the renewables have become so uh, so important in that generation mix that uh, you know, I there was a a, a speech given. When, not too long ago, and there was a gentleman who'd been in in the power business for thirty years. And he said, "You know I used to wake up every morning wow. and look at the price of natural gas. Now, the first thing I do is wake up and look and see what ERCOT wind is doing and so it's, wow. it's been a dramatic shift over the past i'd say really three, four, five years in terms of uh, in terms of the generation mix and what's really driving prices
1: sure, yeah, you were uh, so I want to definitely go to renewables uh when we first started kicking some business around. You were the president of TIPA, uh, the Energy Professionals Association, which I'm sure you're still involved with uh, in your company. And I, I noticed even there just from the first year we were there to the third or fourth year we were there, the difference in how much renewables was driving the conversation. And uh, some some folks who, like yourselves, who, you know, selfishly, I was there to try and find other brokers who have customers that want to do deals, right? Um, and I remember year one, everyone's, it was sort of, there was a lot of kind of blank faces and just not that much interest in it compared to two, three, four years later. It seems like everybody's customers were starting to ask about renewables and ask their brokers and it's one, you know, again, selfishly for Biostar, um, we we really love working with Andrew and his company for a couple of reasons. One, they get it, they get the pricing, they have the utility bills available, they understand what their customers are truly paying. So it helps us when we're sizing a project. Um, but two, they also have really trusted relationships and and you have long-term relationships with your customers which i i think is interesting so you're signing two three-year contracts and then kind of renewing those talk to us just how about how you kind of set yourself apart from from the competition with respect to kind of managing that relationship and how that benefits your long-term business
0: yeah sure so i think there's a number of things and you know certainly I've, i've been on the consulting side for uh i guess uh just over 16 years now, which is sort of hard to believe. But, you know, part of it is just experience in the market and understanding the customer needs and growing with your customers. And I think that's probably fair to say in in most industries, uh, you know, across the board. But, you know, I think for us, where we try to really differentiate ourselves is we try to have a better understanding of the market. Um, And that's analytics. It is, you know, we have our own analytics portal. We're constantly analyzing usage. We're looking at different factors to determine where can we come in and and really help our customers uh, leverage their energy portfolio. And oftentimes, that also turns into can we turn that into a into a, a revenue stream for them? Can we can we turn that into something that is, you know, basically what we sort of call power as a service or electricity as a service? And there's a number of ways that you know if you're If you have capabilities and functionality at your behind the meter, then you can really leverage your positions and and create that revenue stream. So I think for us, it's having those sorts of conversations. It's being on the forefront of of the green initiatives. It's understanding distributed gen, and then also you know every state, every market is so nuanced, and so you really have to have an understanding of where you're able to participate and where you can maximize those revenues. Not just are you able to create them, but what sort of programs make the most sense for you, whether that's a, sure. a demand response, some sort of other load management program that exists, and then uh, how do you put those of those into play? I think the other component too is that, you know, there's a number of sophisticated products out there um, and they're not right for every customer. And so I think what we try to do is rather than saying, look, we're really good at this one product, let's take that to our customer. It's let's hear what our customers sure. needs let's understand that product and then let's go find the best service provider for that product. So, so rather, you know, we really want to, to to hear the customer take exactly what they need and then go find that solution for them.
1: Absolutely. We say in our business all time, you know, technology agnostic. Uh, if we don't know it and we're not experts, we'll tell you, but generally speaking, you know, be technology agnostic because the right, you know, different technologies are are beneficial for different customers. So, really appreciate that. So, talk to me. Oh, go ahead. You say okay.
0: too, you know, you you want to be, you don't want to be a problem looking, or I'm sorry, you don't want to be a solution looking for a problem. Right. You want to identify problems and then go find the solution. And I think that goes with you know technology agnostic or, or whatever it may be. Is that you want to be able to to diagnose the problem and then go find the proper solution
1: so talk to me there's no doubt that the uh as you mentioned i I love the quote uh, about tracking natural gas and now tracking wind and ERCOT. so there's no doubt that the the industry is going there talk to me a little bit more specifically because i know you all just hired uh brought in some new blood to really focus on the renewables thing and you were mentioning um, consulting, helping your customers procure recs. You have some really, really big customers that, that buy a ton of power. Um, I'm interested to know kind of what are they saying? What's driving their interest? Is it, is it driving costs out? Is it ESG? Is it both? Um, I'm kind of interested to hear what, what they're doing, what they're asking for, and then how you're reacting to that. And, and tell me about this new blood that you've brought into your company
0: yeah, sure. and I think you know this is sort of it's the evolution of uh, of the customer and also the evolution of the products being offered from the in the renewable space and that you know we'd have a con- we'd have conversations um, even ten years ago, and the customer would just it, most customers would say, uh, you discuss green power, do you have any desire? Do you have any uh, and beyond desire, do you have any requirements internally? And oftentimes the answer was no. Um, and it was also sort of just understood that uh, buying that or acquiring that that power was going to be incrementally more expensive than what you could go out and source directly from the grid uh, in the traditional sort of uh, natural gas, coal-fired sure. generation in that mix. As time went on and we started to see some subsidies come in, you started to hear more and more about people having... I would say, behind the meter solar was sort of the first thing where you were, you know, obviously that started probably with residential and people having solar put on their roofs. And then that sort of grew from there, where we started seeing customers actually having behind the meter solar. Um, and And at that time, even then, as you know, David, it was you had to have an extensive amount of either rooftop or space next to your location that you were not using did not plan to use for some sort of you know 10 to 15 year period um and that you were willing to give to that that project development and at that point you were going to pay more than what you would go out and acquire your traditional grid power for i'd say really over the past three to four years uh outside of texas and i don't want to keep referencing texas it just happens to be where I live and where I I sort of hear the most chatter um, about what's going on.
1: Sort of the energy capital of the world, right? Where where all these things seem to be intersecting.
0: It is, and I think it's, look, it just goes to show when you have oil and gas companies calling you saying, we need to get to 100% renewable by X, or we need to (laughs) uh, green up this portion, or we need to offset our carbon footprint. I mean, who would have ever thought that those responsible for Producing America's petroleum are going to be calling, saying, "How do I get off the grid? Or how do I how, how do I green up this power?" So we're certainly seeing that now quite a bit. Um, a lot of that is driven. I you know to to answer your question, I think a lot of it is driven by the ESG initiatives inside of each organization, um, and also of course by the investors in those organizations and larger companies. Um, so I, I think that's been a part, but also too, just the cost has come down considerably over the last several years to where it is, you know, uh, to to use I guess an industry buzzword, but grid parity, where you are, you can have prices that are yeah. that are similar, if not cheaper, to yeah. you know what you can go out and procure. I will say, you know, as a part of that too, though, is you know you have to consider is that. Prices, power prices in general over the past, really seven, eight, nine, 10 years have have fallen quite a bit. And so even with renewables being cheaper, you often still get to the point where customers say, you know, uh, look, uh, power is so cheap right now. I I just don't even want to mess with anything else. Put me into a long-term fixed contract at the lowest price possible, and let's move on down the road. And what we're seeing is those folks that did that three, four, five years ago, are now coming back and saying, I need to address this now. I I have to address this. Um, And so that certainly has been an evolution, I think of the customer that's sort of walked alongside the evolution of, of renewables in general.
1: Sure, it seems to, in the project development space, we're hearing a lot of cost neutral seems to be kind of the new buzzword. So if you can deliver me renewable power at the same price, I'll buy it. Um, and that's been that's been super interesting. It seems like in the last you know twenty four months, you're really starting to hear that more. And I think you're right. I think the ESG um, initiatives and and demand is really pushing that. But I don't think that without grid parity or without reasonable prices, you would have seen the adoption that we've seen and and hopefully continue to see. So I think it's absolutely a a factor of both.
0: And I think you're seeing also a movement by the, uh, the individual consumers. And what I mean by that is consumers of products being created by these companies. Um, and let's just say it was Coca-Cola and you had a, you know, a, you have millions and millions of people that drink Coke, the individuals at the sort of at the end of that supply chain that are consuming those products.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I have to shamelessly plug uh, Renewables podcast. If you haven't seen our second episode with Jeff Fromm, uh, author of The Purpose Advantage, I strongly recommend you go check that out. And he talks about exactly that, how brands that kind of put purpose into what they do are outperforming their competitors and how... The the consumer is discerning, and uh, if you know for a dollar more you can feel good about what you bought, people are doing that. So, so that's that's super interesting. And go check out episode two if you haven't already. So I'm having a little bit of audio, so I'm gonna make sure I switch my earphone over here. Um, Yeah, so super interesting that you mentioned that. Um, You sell to some really really big power consumers some of the some of the biggest consumers i think um you know probably in the country perhaps the world um are are you seeing are are they all hopping on board is it are you having to go and and figure out how to diversify
0: their energy mix absolutely i mean you have those you've got customers that are currently doing it um and you know, are, are diving all the way in, and then you have those that are saying, "We need to do it. We just really don't know where to start." And sure that's part. what we're hearing a lot of: is customers that are coming in and saying, "We have these requirements," or you know, it's an energy manager at a facility that says, "I've been tasked with going 20% green by the end of 2021, and I can't just go." Acquire RECs. I, I can't just go buy Texas Wind RECs for a buck fifty. I need to, I need additionality or I need. So to-
1: that's super interesting. Let me interrupt you real quick because I want to really quickly, if you'll just at the highest level you can break down RECs, uh, renewable energy credits, and kind of bundled versus unbundled. And I, I'm curious, and then we'll come back, but I'm curious what's driving that where they can't just buy the wrecks from Texas. So anyways, I wanna come back to that, but if you don't mind kind of schooling our listeners real quick who might not be as familiar, um, these renewable energy credits companies are either procuring or buying uh, to offset their carbon emissions. Can you just kind of school us on that real quick?
0: Yeah, sure. So it's funny, we were actually having this conversation yesterday was the difference between customers looking to just source a, a wreck and offset, uh, and essentially, It is, and most people watching this may already know, but it's, it's one rec per every one megawatt hour of power consumed or one rec for every 1000 kilowatt hours consumed. So generally speaking, if you're even a, you know, if you're a large user, it's relatively inexpensive to go out and procure recs at a dollar, basically let's call it a dollar 50, a megawatt hour, maybe less. If you're looking at offsetting one megawatt hour of power. So, um, you know, that. That's an easy conversion, and I will say for those that are just sort of dipping their toe into the water and saying, "I've got to do something quick and I and I need to do it now." This is an easy, easy option. You can go out and do this very quickly. Um, Those recs still get retired in your name, so they will be registered to you. You can actually go in and you can show that yes, I've acquired these. Um, And and for me, I think that that's probably the easiest way and the most efficient, fastest way.
1: Sure. So some giant wind farm in Texas is producing a bunch of clean energy and I have a plant in Maryland and I just bought all those wrecks.
0: That's right. Assuming yeah, that your state regulator, your state regulator allows that to happen, got which it. a lot do allow for uh, one state to purchase wrecks from another state. So, sure. And so
1: we definitely see this trend where you don't get as much credit for that, right? It's not, um, and so is it the consumer driving that or is it just the company's sort of policy or is it some, you know, regulatory body? What what do you think's driving that push towards, no, don't just buy the credit from the, the folks, the wind farm in Texas, you need to put the solar or the wind or whatever it is on your property and create your own wrecks.
0: Yeah. So I think, and, and I do want to clarify too, because you said they're not getting as much credit for it. They do get the same credit as in terms of the value of the wreck in terms sure, of sure. it, it actually being purposeful for 100% or 50% or 25% green power. But what you're saying is they're not getting the credit either, whether that be from the general public, uh, the, those that are advocating for, 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 you know for the green movement whatever it may be so what you are seeing now in in terms of additionality is that it rather than buying something that has been created from an existing wind farm or an existing solar project is i need my dollars to be counted for towards what's going into a new project and so i need to basically essentially you're getting credit for being a developer of a new project and so when you go and say I have these thousand wrecks and it came from that specific wind farm in New Jersey, which is five miles away from my home or five miles away from my business. I'm helping to, I'm, I'm continuing to support this movement in my local economy, in my state, behind my own utility. And I'm not just doing this to basically say that I'm green. I'm actually, I'm actually acting on it.
1: Sure. That's super interesting because, I could see a world, uh, and we're kind of tracking this as, as best we can, where you know the investment tax credit for solar was 30%, now it's 26%. Of course, it could be renewed, it could not be renewed, but the plan is it, it steps down to 22 and then to 10% permanently. Um, certainly, you could imagine a world that it's already starting to happen, I think, where now corporate wrecks are actually becoming a funding mechanism for these green projects and sort of filling that void where the investment tax credit investor used to be,
0: so yeah, it's very interesting and it's you know it's it's amazing to see the the industry evolve and also the financial instruments that have been created along the way with it um, in terms of your ability to be a contributor to a to a, a renewable project um, without necessarily having to go and put solar on your roof or have a wind turbine in your backyard. There's a number of different ways you can do it that still provide additionality or for those that are saying, you know, I want to dip my toe in, I, I need, I I need some, some green power. I I need, uh, I need this component. Then they can go out and say, Hey Andrew, can you go get 10,000 Rex for us? And we can do that at a fairly reasonable price.
1: That's great. So let's shift a little bit to, is it link or links? Links. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear about links and I want to hear about a little more about, uh, well, I think we kind of covered the renewable energy, the rec procurement consulting side of things, but you're doing some super interesting stuff around demand response. And um, I know you're, you've done some battery stuff. I wanna hear about that and, and expand on that. Yeah, sure. So
0: I can sort of touch on demand response first. So our Lynx EP is is, um, is Lynx Energy Partners. It's our demand response company here in ERCOT, which means that we are a QSE, which is a qualified scheduling entity. Uh, the way that demand response works is that there's a, a significant amount of money set aside by ERCOT um, and that money is set aside for companies to say, I will basically be on standby for you. And then if there's an issue with the grid where the grid is not going to meet the demands of, uh, is not going to meet the supply demands at that time, then these individuals will shut down uh, basically in order to, it's kind of like you'll you'll shut down your power in order to save your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so there's a number of ways you can do it. You can do it as a manual shutdown where you're actually just, turning off let's the easiest way would say okay i'm going to turn off all the lights in my building uh, and i'm going to raise the temperature of the surface down five degrees it's much more complicated than that but that would be sort of a manual shutdown where you would be just curtailing your unload then uh we do have a number of folks that have a, a backup source of power typically a generator where they're able to displace load instead of actually shutting down that load completely and so um, they are paid to be on standby all year long, and they do have performance requirements. They have to make sure that they test it, these programs that they're actually uh, a viable candidate, um, and then they get paid Super to be on standby. So, Super interesting. That's the demand response component. And there, there's a number of other. There's even within demand response, there's additional programs and. Um, if anybody has any questions on that, I'd be more than happy to, to dive deeper. But I think for the purposes of today, you know, talking through the curtailment pieces is, um, is really the most important understanding. And that's not just a program offered in Texas. It's offered in many, many states across the U.S. Um, and I would say that the, the numbers are significant, especially as you get into some of these markets like California um, that are... Concerned with the you know California duck curve going sure. on, or they need to flatten out certain parts of the load, or they sure. need uh, frequency uh, frequency dispatch, whatever it may be. So um, there's a number of programs out there, and most likely, if you're a business that can either manually curtail or has a source of backup generation, there's a program out there that would that would suit your needs and would create a revenue stream for you.
1: That's great. What types of customers are you working with so far? I mean, is it all types of customers or are there certain folks that are, are kind of better fit for that than others?
0: Yeah. So I would say first and foremost is if you have a backup generator over 100 KW, you are a great fit for any of the programs. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, we see a lot of grocery stores participating. Think about high end users that need that, that have generally steady loads. Um So you'll have office buildings participating from 8 a.m. till Mm -hmm. 6 p.m. We get a lot of manufacturing that's participating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, I would say, you know, a a lot of hospitals actually participate because they're required Mm -hmm. to have backup generators. uh, So they already have them on site. Um, And so there's a number of of different folks. But yeah, I mean, we we see a little bit of everything. A lot of universities, um, universities that are also required to have backup generation or have also created some sort of central energy plant that they can curtail load or offset load. So we're seeing that quite a bit these days.
1: So if you've got the Gen set on site, you've already got a lot of the infrastructure, right? That's so right. A lot of times you're, so you're, just naturally you're running
0: fighter. so few hours. I mean, so there's only been, I want to say there were two events last year in 2019 last summer um and we hadn't had an event previously since 2011. so you had eight years of folks getting paid to be on standby testing once a year to ensure that they could do it which uh, in most cases you have to test your generator once a year anyway so Hmm. they were using that as their test and they were they basically been on standby for eight years uh receiving that's
1: great
0: andrew and one more if i may dave so That has also led us into the distributed generation component, which is we've realized that those folks that have these generators, they don't just have to be there for standby. We can actually use those to arbitrage real-time and day-ahead markets. And so that's a much more sophisticated product, um, but it is another way to create revenue.
1: So you are actually monitoring the real-time pricing and forward-looking pricing and then identifying those opportunities to go and and create arbitrage.
0: That's right, and then dispatching those gin sets into those markets, whether it's day-ahead, real-time, and then helping reconcile that revenue for those customers.
1: It's it's really cool, it's really interesting. Um, I mean, just, first of all, you know, as a business owner, uh, especially the the grocery stores come to mind, and that makes total sense because of all the refrigeration and everything they have Um, it's super interesting. I love that you're, you know, it feels like you're, you're right there. You're really delivering people their power. That's one thing that I love about the solar business is that, you know, we operate assets that people actually use in real time. And, um, that just, that, that feels cool. I don't know. It's cool. Um, but I think that, uh, what you're doing around the, the demand response and, and the, of playing that arbitrage like you said is is so cool and interesting i'm really excited to to track that because i think that that's probably a part of your business that that'll grow substantially so congratulations to you on these new endeavors that you all have sort of expanded into i think it's it's great that you're diversifying what you're able to offer your customers and um we sure appreciate getting to help your customers every once in a while. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Any other final thoughts? Uh, make sure make sure you tell our listeners your website so they can find you online if they want to reach out, have a question.
0: Yeah, sure. Our website is www.csdenergy.com. You can also find us at linksep.com, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um And just want to say, Dave, thanks for having me. We certainly enjoyed working with you guys on these projects. And uh, this has been fun to do. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Andrew, take care, man. Have a great rest of your week.
0: Thanks, David. Take care.
1: Thanks. Bye.